Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. The dream of being a well-known author is a noble one. For folks who love to write, the idea of their work making the bestseller list is motivational and also intimidating. How do they know if their story is a good one? How does the publishing industry work? To get published, you need an agent? There are many questions that aspiring writers have, and the annual Killer Nashville Conference is here to help. Every summer since 2006, the conference has brought together authors of all levels of experience, but not just networking that occurs there. They also build community and provide support for each other. Later this hour, we'll meet the organizer of the Killer Nashville Conference and talk with some authors in attendance. You may have heard of one of them. But first, it's time for Add Us. Each week, we take time to read the comments so you don't have to. Yes, I am encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at This Is Nashville and on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN. Joining me now with a look back at the past few weeks is our senior producer, Steve Harouche. Hey, Steve. Hey, what's up, Cleo? I'm chilling, man. How's it going? Not, not bad. Yes, okay. yes. Okay, Thursday, here it is. What have our listeners been saying? Well, as you can imagine, there was uh, quite a bit of response to our license plate reader episode last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing I just want to mention real quick about that show is that we got some feedback uh, about the fact that our panel featured several guests who are opposed to LPRs. As we said during the episode, we did invite Metro Nashville police to join us. Long story short, by the time we got confirmation that they couldn't make it, there really just wasn't time to book another guest. So. Yes, that is one of the hazards of doing a Indeed. live show. And Mark Wynn, one of our guests, is a former police officer who said several times that he's in favor of LPRs. That's right. Um, we got a tweet while we were on air from Angus Purdy who said, quote, Reactive approaches do not reduce crime. District 18 has zero LPRs, is among the least police districts in the city, and yet is one of the safest. Meeting the material needs of our communities is the only way to reduce crime in Nashville, end all, quote. All right. So after the show, we got a very detailed email from John Shortridge. He had notes. Yes, he Let's did. say that. <laughs> Let, the message starts with this question, quote, what happens when a license plate doesn't produce a hit? Is this data archived or deleted, end quote? Right. So a reminder that a hit is when a license plate number matches one that police have some sort of interest in. So we sent John's question to Dylan DePriest, the data, uh, the data analyst for Metro Nashville Community Oversight, who was a guest on the show. This is a great question, and the answer is twofold. So when an LPR reads a license plate and that license plate does not result in a hit, that data is kept. However, due to Metro Code 13880, that data may only be kept for a period of 10 days. Afterwards, it must be deleted. However, if data has a written exemption or is part of an active or ongoing investigation, that data may be kept indefinitely. This is important as during the full pilot program, there were 71 million plates read. Mm. However, there are only 1,316 verified hits for a verified hit rate of about 0.0018%. So the vast majority of these license plates that are being read are not resulting in hits. 
So for the vast majority of plates, they are kept for that 10-day period and then deleted. All right. That makes a lot of sense. But John had more questions. Let's start with, quote, who has access to this data? Here's Dylan again. Unfortunately, I cannot fully answer this question. MNPD has not disclosed which vendors they will be considering for a full LPR program. And this is important as different vendors have different rules and restrictions around who owns this data and who can access its data. Yeah, and Dylan adds that only certain people within MNPD have access. And during the pilot program, there were the program administrator, basically, and 10 officers who were trained on LPRs. Okay, so we've got more follow-up questions from John, starting with, quote, how is this kept private? Once again, I cannot fully answer this question, as that largely depends on which vendors MNPD considers for a full LPR program. As once again, different vendors have different rules and restrictions around who can access and who can share LPR data. However, Metro Code 13880 does provide some important restrictions on what LPR data can be used for. Two notable ones are that LPR data cannot be used for the purpose of criminalizing abortion or for the detainment or deportment of immigrants in Nashville, regardless of legal status. However, this leads into the next follow-up question. Can it legally be turned over by court order? The answer here is yes. So LPR data can be shared with other law enforcement agencies if they have a written request, regardless of, the, of their a local law enforcement agency a statewide law enforcement agency, or a national law enforcement agency. Additionally, LPR data can be turned over by a court order. This is important as the Attorney General or TBI, since abortion is a felony in the state of Tennessee, could obtain LPR data via court order for that purpose. So there you have it. Mm -hmm. um, that's Pretty detailed explanation. Um, as for why collect this data at all, Dylan says he really can only speculate. All right. Now, we went from a pretty detailed breakdown from data analyst Dylan DePriest of Metro Nashville Community Oversight. And that is good. Thank you very much, Dylan, for all of that. So we're going to really switch gears here. We're going from LPRs to EMO. Yeah, yesterday's show all about Nashville's emo scene was so much fun. Produced by our technical director, Michaela yes. Elias, who I can see through the glass right now. Um, but this show was fun, but not without controversy. Man, emo elicits controversy. Wow. Okay, so we got a tweet from Nick Williamson who said, quote, Taking back Sunday and census fail definitely led me down the emo path back in 2003, and I haven't looked back since, end quote. But then at Randark replied, quote, Neither of those bands were ever emo. Both were pop punk in post hard with post hardcore influences. People love to lump all of these genres together as if they are the same, which has made the term emo essentially meaningless. End quote. Yeah, hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, if people are arguing about what it is and what it isn't, that doesn't sound meaningless to me. I hear that. Look, I learned a lot about emo yesterday. It was absolutely a fantastic ride in learning about this music that I've heard but didn't know too much about. And so we had Aaron Gillespie from the band Under Oath on the show. And speaking of controversy, check it out. We got this tweet from Yulena who said, quote, the emo talk today was neato, but just for the record, 
an under oath fan would have punched you if you labeled them emo back in the day. <laughs> Listen, no matter how, how strongly you feel about the band you love, I simply cannot endorse violence. It's not the emo way. That's right. It's all about love and angst in emo. That <laughs> is our senior producer, Steve Arouche. Steve, thanks for this roundup. Anytime. And don't forget to add us on Twitter and Instagram. Let's keep the comments coming, y'all. Also, fill out our community survey to let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. It's super easy and quick and helps us to, to produce shows with your needs and interests in mind. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn more about the Killer Nashville Conference and talk with a well-known author about why she relishes the event. Have you attended the Killer Nashville Conference? What was your experience? Please tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. Today is the first day of the annual Killer Nashville Conference. Hundreds of attendees from across the globe have come to Franklin to network, learn, and share ideas, all with the hopes of becoming better at their craft. The conference specializes in mystery, crime, and thrillers. It is called Killer Nashville for a reason, but all genres are welcome. So what's the atmosphere like at the conference? What are some of the topics discussed? My next guest is here to give us an inside look on the scene. Clay Stafford is the founder and chief organizer of the Killer Nashville Conference and a mystery author himself. Clay, thanks for joining us. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you very much. Really great to have you. So, you know, that Nashville area, we have this long, deep literary history. Why did you decide to start this conference? Well, I decided at the time, and even even now, there really wasn't. We have the great Southern Festival of Books, mm-hmm. who, who Southern Festival of Books have been a great supporter of Killer Nashville. So um, at the time in 2006, um, we just looked around, and there was really no uh, event for encouraging writers of the mystery, thriller, suspense genre in this area. And so I was... Uh, Literally, uh, at a Japanese restaurant over sake with a with a, a manager from Barnes and Noble, and he, he said, "Why don't we start a conference, or why don't you start a conference?" And I said, "You know, that's a good idea." And so I contacted um, um, my friends all over, and the first year we had seventy people show up, and uh, it's grown now. We've we've got around five hundred people coming into Nashville this year. What was it like when you organized the first year of the event? It was fun. I've I've been a producer and a, a director and a you know a showrunner project developer for m- most of my life and um, so it was uh, I love creating new projects and Killer Nashville of course is a is a new live venue project for me and uh, so every year. Uh, it's it's very exciting. Every year I tweak it, and the industry is obviously changing. So every year we change with the industry to, to make sure that the people who are coming get the most update information that they can. And so... Um, 
It uh, it was it was a lot of fun. We did it the first year. We did it in three months. It freaked my. I, I had uh, a guy working with me and a uh, my wife, and I came home and I said, well, "We're going to let's do a conference." And they said, "Oh, okay. When you want to do it?" I said, "Let's do August." Well, it was probably June okay. at, that, at that point, and so they were like, "What?" But uh, I've as I've told you, I, I've I've done live TV. I've done uh, all sorts of things, and uh, so I'm used to that that deadline mentality. Mm -hmm. And so I took off with it and it turned out really, really great. Carol Higgins Clark was our guest of honor uh, this, this, that year and uh, brought in, as I said, about 70 people. And um, it was just a wonderful, and then it was like, uh, let's do this again. And so we've been doing it. This will be our 17th year. Would be 18th, but we had to take a COVID year off. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is will be our 17th year. So it's the first day of the 17th year of the conference. What can people expect when they attend? I hope they ex expect support because that's really what we try to do is to, to support authors in whatever stage that they're at. If they're beginning authors with an idea, we try to try to help them see how to maybe structure, write their novel or their nonfiction book. If, if they're uh, kind of mid-list in there, think we try to, we offer plenty of marketing and uh, promotional uh, classes. And we also have uh, running throughout the entire event, we have 11, sometimes 11 classes going concurrently at the same time over the course between now and Sunday. And um, so some of it, uh, even uh, for the forensic junkies that want to show up, we have a track that's just for forensics where we have, I say, the government alphabet, the CIA, the FBI, the TBI. Okay. They come in and they talk about, uh, they talk about cases and um, help help authors write correctly when they're portraying actually law enforcement or government agencies or whatever, because, you know, you want to have that credibility as a writer when you're doing that. So we pretty much try to cover everybody, depending on where you are. We have New York Times bestsellers come every year who come just for the marketing, because we we really push the new marketing that's, that's out there in the digital world, and we try to make sure everybody can elevate. So wherever you are, what do you expect? Support. Everybody leaves their egos at the door. Okay. They come in. Uh, to be a part of Killer Nashville, I've always said you have to be willing to give somebody your telephone number and your business card. And uh, people who come find that, and they find supportive relationships that carry them all the way through. So support is really what I think we should be after. And that's really important because of trust. I mean, these are people's creative ideas, their intellectual property. I know some folks can be a little keep those a little close to the vest, particularly with that idea that you don't want to get you don't, you don't want to have it stolen or take it with some, from someone. How do you create that environment where it's like, you here's this work that you've been laboring on for decades in some circumstances. How do you get that to share that with others who are in the same field? I think people come in, um, first-timers, especially new writers, come in nervous. But I think once you see the climate there, we, we even bring in agents and editors who are actively looking for manuscripts. So we have tons of success stories with people who, um, like in one particular case, a week after we had our awards ceremony, uh, he ended up with a publishing deal, an agent, and a movie deal. Wow. And, yeah, and so we have had numerous success stories like that, and that's really what we're trying to do is to push it forward. And I think when people come in and see that kind of environment, that supportive environment, um, I think I think if we, as long as you deal with reputable people in the publishing business, I think it's still a gentleman's and a gentlewoman's uh, 
line of work. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, I, I don't worry that much about anybody stealing anybody's ideas. And believe me, the people who show up at Killer Nashville have more ideas in their head on their own that they can write in their entire lifetime. Mm-hmm. So so uh, they never have to worry about somebody stealing anything. As a matter of fact, what we're trying to do is to help them to sell this thing okay. that they've been working for 10 years on. All right. Now, crime, mystery, theaters, the- and thrillers, pardon me, that's the focus of the conference and it like in the name like I said why did you choose those themes for the event for me I think there are there are five things that work really well in every, every any any type of written work or a visual work or whatever and that's mystery thriller suspense action and romance those are really what we address and so we've even got in our award ceremony that's going to be uh, on Saturday night and also going to be broadcast on our YouTube channel it's we we give awards to mainstream commercial to literary so we cover the gamut of of, of genres per se, but really what we're trying to do is cover the gamut of good writing. Mm. And having those five elements is really, I think, successful, even if you're doing like a true crime book or if you're trying to do some sort of success book, really having those elements in there and incorporating them in uh, actually keeps the reader engaged because it seems that we as readers respond to those five things, mystery, thriller, suspense, action, and romance. Now, thrillers are a theme, but the conference is open to all genres, and it's open to writers from all levels of experience. This year's conference, Guest of Honor, is well-known for her work. Her young adult series, Guardians of Gahul, was adapted into an animated movie by Warner Brothers, and it was also made into a video game. That's pretty cool. Last year, her mystery novel, Light on Bone, featuring an amateur sleuth, Georgia O'Keeffe, was published. I'd like to welcome Catherine Lasky to the show. Catherine, thanks for joining us. Welcome to This is Nashville. Oh, it's really nice to be here. A pleasure to have you. So you have this long and distinguished career as an author. Tell us, how'd you get started? Well, I got started in children's books, and I think I was very lucky. I I sold my first children's book right out the off the bat. I didn't have an agent. I can thank my husband for saying uh, I was going to send this book in, and this is way back when. Mm-hmm. And my husband said to Little Brown that uh, was then in Boston where I live, and he said, don't send it in. Call him up. Ask to speak to the children's division. The, so I, I said, oh, no, no. I, he said, you can do that. Just call him up. Come on. It's on the phone. I called up. I had no idea this guy would answer his own phone, but he did. And I sort of pitched the idea. And he said, well, that sounds really interesting. Why don't you come in with the manuscript and show it to me? And... I was just a sense. I went in, and he bought it right there. Wow. Well, yeah, so that got, that's a very unusual story. Mm-hmm. But, and, and publishing has changed a lot since then. I mean, Little Brown was, I don't know who bought them recently, but they moved to New York years ago and all of that. So it's not the homey, cozy little industry it used to be. But that's how I got started. Was it your childhood who dreamed to be an author? I I think my childhood dream was probably for a long time just to be a reader. <laughs> and and then 
I majored in English, and I thought, well, if you could really pull this off, it would be great. So, yeah. Yeah, you gave it a shot, and here we are. Here we are. Okay, so you've written books for children, young adults, grown-ups, and your work spans over several genres, fiction, nonfiction, fantasy, and mystery. Where do you draw your interests and inspirations from? Just looking around um, and, and everything. But I get a lot of... I'm sort of a historical fiction, or a history fanatic, so I've written a lot of historical fiction, and nobody believes it, but, like, it can feed in to whatever you're writing. I mean, for example, in the owl book, which is a post-human world where there's only owls, but some remnants from humans are left behind. Mm-hmm. And the owls collect what they want. And there is this one fussy old owl. She's great. Um, And she has collected from, I guess it's the year 1952 or 53. It's now the year, you know, 4,000 and something. A Queen Elizabeth coronation mug. Well, I had one of those. Um... Somebody gave. I was I was very young when Queen Elizabeth was having her coronation. I desperately wanted the doll, the Madame Alexander doll, but my parents said that's ridiculous. They cost forty dollars. You do not need a <laughs> doll of the British monarch. And then I think my aunt somehow came across this mug that was a Queen Elizabeth mug. And I still have it, and uh, I put that in in my album. I mm. mean, it's a very small part, but it inspired me. And now I've gone so far from your question, I don't know what to say. Yeah, no, this is perfect. I mean, I want, I want to talk a little bit more about the Guardians of Gahul. I mean, the series is very, very successful. I'm curious about a couple things. One, why did you choose children's books, and where did the idea for Guardians come from? Well, my husband, who's a former National Geographic photographer, he and I used to do a lot of nonfiction books together, and he would do the photographs. And, yeah, one of those um, nonfiction books, um, Sugaring Time, won a Newbery Honor Award. So I, I got this interest in owls for some reason, and I said, let's do a book, a nonfiction book about owls. And he said, no, that's not going to work. It's, it, it's dark. We'll have to go out in the cold. They're very shy. We'll just, you know, freeze our butts out. Hmm. Um, and I, I, he said, just why don't you just write a fantasy book about it? So I tried. And, I, I, well, I wrote the idea for the fantasy book, sort of a pitch, And um, then I had to talk, by this time I was well ensconced at Scholastic, and the editor-in-chief had called me about something with a contract, and she said, do you have anything else on your mind? I said, well, I'm thinking about this book about owls and a sort of post-human world where there's just owls and other animals. And she said, ooh, that sounds neat. Could you just, you know, write me a note and fax it to me or whatever. Yeah, because I don't think email was that popular then. Anyhow, I did. I wrote 
just this note, probably a hundred words. And she called me back and she said, this isn't one book, it's six books. Mm. And I said, I don't know how to do six books. I mean, she said, you'll figure it out. <laughs> well, I did. Yes. But, but with a lot of help from Scholastic because they're very good at um, series. Yeah, and you, you figured it out. It's turned into a film, a video game, and a long-lasting series. And your, your latest book, Light on Bone, was published last year. It stars the legendary painter Georgia O'Keeffe. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, Georgia O'Keeffe has, for a long time, um, been a favorite painter of mine. But... Um, Oddly enough, um, yeah, I took a lot of art history courses. She was not my favorite back then, but when I graduated from college, my mom said, let's go on a trip to New York and we'll go to museums and this and that and go to some Broadway plays. And she said, and I got tickets for the George O'Keefe exhibit. Well, at that time, I I wasn't that crazy about George O'Keefe, but I said, okay, and well, sort of reluctant. And she said, what's wrong with you? I said, well, I've never really cared for her work. And my mom said to me then, she said, you know, I think I should ask for a rebate on your college education. <laughs> and so uh, we went, and I it was at the Met, and I just fell in love with George O'Keefe. I just, there's something about those paintings. I, for some people, me in particular, you have to see them in real life, and then you sort of just fall into them. And I just found her whole life so interesting. And then I thought, gosh, she'd make a great character for a mystery novel. And um, so that's how I started. I, I start when she is in her mid to late 40s. She's living in... she. New Mexico, well, not full-time. She'd just been through a real personal crisis, and she went out there to heal, and that's all true. Mm-hmm. And so, and it just seemed perfect for um, what they call in the business an amateur sleuth because um, I'm, I'm pairing her off against, you know, the sheriff of the county, and what can she see that a trained detective can't see? Mm-hmm. What what artistic elements are in her brain? And that I found just fascinating. Did you, in your research, did you travel to New Mexico to kind of retrace her steps? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I had traveled there a lot of times before because then, you know, I told you after I saw that exhibit, I fell in love with her. And um, so, but the day I decided to write that book was the first day of the, well, the pandemic. So I couldn't go out then. Mm. and But I had already, um, you know, I decided to write the book. I'd already ordered a lot of stuff. I had a lot of pictures from when I had gone out. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Alona. We're talking this hour about the Killer Nashville Conference, which starts today with Clay Stafford and Catherine Lasky. You can send us your comments and tweet us at This Is Nashville. Now, Clay, you said you, the, atten- the conference is going to have people attending all parts of the globe, all skill levels, and the one thing that they can expect is support. What are you hoping folks take away from the conference? Not, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, knowledge and uh, networking 
and again support because there are people who have come have been coming for years and have made lifelong friends people who read each other's manuscripts and so when they leave they leave they they come isolated sometimes as a writer and they leave a part of a community, mm. the Kilroy Nashville family. And everybody, I, I came from a background where I had really no way of getting to do some of the wonderful things that I feel that I've gotten to do. And I got that opportunity because there were people who said, eh, he's kind of rough around the edge, you know, but uh, let's, let's give him a hand. And so Kilroy Nashville is built around that whole idea of giving back. And a lot of times people come and, and who are well-known with just the idea of giving back because they remember how isolated. And it's not like a career where you're going to be a doctor or an attorney and you go do this and then this and mm -hmm. then this. Um, it, there's so many different paths that you can take to get to where you need to go. And you need that community of people who are telling you, first of all, stay with it. Mm -hmm. Keep at it. Follow your dream. It's uh, it's bouncy and it's not sometimes pretty at first, but it will eventually work itself out. I, as a as a young man myself, I had somebody tell me, "Stick with it." Um, he said that uh, eventually people are either going to get a tired and give up, b they're going to die, and or c they're going to become old and senile. And if you stay with it, eventually the spot's going to open up. And it was <laughs> it was great advice, and it, it it didn't take to the point of someone getting senile to do it. But we uh, we try to encourage that all the way through. And so um, somebody that you're going to be talking to, Angela Watts, um, can I comment on her just a, uh, for, for, for just a moment? Please she, do. she is a delightful woman and she came to the conference just completely nervous many years ago with a dream. And she is she's the ideal example of what I'm talking about. And now she's got a publishing contract uh, with with a major publisher, and you you are just going to absolutely love talking to her about her experience with that. Are, is this environment that you're that you've created is that common in conferences like this? I don't think so. For I, I think for most of the you know I can't speak for all conferences, but I'd say a good deal. And Catherine might be a good one to talk to about this as 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 well. But for most of them, they're more promotional. Uh, they're they're directed towards readers, so I'm trying to get you to buy my book, mm -hmm. right? We are not we are a writers conference. We're directed towards developing writers and and helping writers get where they need to go. So that kind of support is kind of unusual in the industry itself. So we're just we're we're an outlier in in the tone of what we do. Mm -hmm. Now, Catherine, you're the guest of honor at this conference. What does that mean to you? Well, it means a lot because, um, of course, it's nice to be recognized. But for all the things that Clay just said, it's very special because there aren't conferences like these. I mean, I've been to a lot of them before, ALA. Um, I've been to BoucherCon. Uh, but those seem more publisher-driven, promotional, marketing-driven. And you can go through one of those conferences and never, never meet another writer mm. or, or, and certainly not have the kind of support with, I mean, I'm going to be on four, four panels. 
there's like zillions more, and I want to go to. So I, I don't know when I'm going to have time. Yeah. But no, I, I just totally agree. And to be a guest of honor here, it's because, you know, I can kind of say to him, well, you know, I, I've sort of done it. I'm still doing it. I'm not that much ahead of you. And, you know, we're all in it together. What's your advice to someone who's starting out in their career? Well, come to Killer Nashville. Yes. I, I really do think, I'm not going to say don't go other places, but I, I'd say this is your first stop. I really would, because you'll just get inspired. Um, the panels are the best I've ever heard. Uh, yeah, I can really say they're the best panels I've ever heard. A lot of panels just kind of state the same question a different way. But they're not. I mean, like I'm looking at the panels I'm on now, and there's one on writing historical fiction. I'll have a lot. But there's another one on looking at amateur sleuths. These are all mm. things that if you want to write a mystery, you you got to kind of deal with. Mm-hmm. Now, Clay, where can listeners find more information about the conference? Easy. Just go to www.killernashville.com. All right. I want to thank my guests, Clay Stafford. He's the founder of Killer, the Killer Nashville Conference. And this year's conference guest of honor, best-selling author, Catherine Lasky. Thank you both for being with us. Really appreciate it and have fun at the conference. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll meet some authors who are current and former attendees of the Killer Nashville Conference to learn about their experience. You can join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Starting today and running through Sunday, the Killer Nashville Conference brings hundreds of writers from all over the world to talk about the art and profession of writing. As the name suggests, crime fiction and thrillers are the main attraction, but it's really an opportunity for aspiring authors to learn, network, and get tips on how to make it in the publishing world. No matter your background, age, or experience level, there's something you can learn and a connection to be made. My next guests are attending this year's festivities. Let's learn what they're excited for. Les Edgerton is the author, is an author and screenwriter whose screenplay Death of Tarpons was named as a finalist in the Scripps Max True Story Scripps Matrix, pardon me, <laughs> True Story Contest. And Jane B. Lee is a novelist, poet, and playwright who is the keynote speaker at this year's conference. Her new book of poems, Scratches and Kisses, is out this week. Les, Jane, thank you both for being here. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. You know, uh, how excited for you are this year's conference, Jane? Oh, my God. This is my third. And I was totally, I, you know, when I found out they were going to have it, I signed up before they were even <laughs> taking people to sign up. Okay. Yes, that's how much excited I was about it. Well, you're so excited. What was your initial experience like the first time you came? Oh, well, the first time I came? Well, the, it was so... I never had a chance to sit down with a bunch of writers and spend significant amount of time with writers. 
sometimes talking about other things, not writing, but, you know, about writing and then going to the sections of the conference. I learned so much, you know, and it's just, it just sucked me back again the next year. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Les, Les, what are you looking forward to this year? Everything. This is my first uh, first conference here. I, I attend other conferences, but this is my first year, and I can see already it beats every one of them. Okay. Just it just it's un- unbelievable now, talent that's assembled here. You are a very prolific writer yourself. You have twenty three books in print. What sparks your passion and interests for writing? The chicks. <laughs> no, <laughs> really. I'm kidding. <laughs> there are no chicks. Have you ever seen writing groupies? <laughs> no, they're not like rock and roll groupies. Uh, just, I've wanted to be a writer since I was five years old and read my first book, and I thought, I can write a better one than that. I couldn't then, but I can now, mm-hmm. and I've been a writer ever since. Well, so what, what genre do you write in most often? Uh, noir is primary, and different crime novels. I'm an ex-con, so I, I bring experience of verisimilitude to the, the genre, and... Uh, yeah, I just I like the seedier side of life. It's it's more fun. What about that seedier side of life and the <laughs> stories that occur there that that really help you transfer that experience and those stories onto the page? Well, because most books and and absolutely most movies I see about crime just get it wrong, and there's a lot of reasons for that. I won't go into now because you probably don't have time. But it's because of reporters going and they interview inmates. And they always lie to the reporter. You always lie. It's like I'll give you a for instance that a lot of people believe that all inmates think they're innocent. None of them do. Even if you are innocent, you would never say that to another <laughs> inmate because mm. you'd get killed. <laughs> okay. You'd be a sissy. Mm-hmm. But you lie to every reporter because there's this this weird hope that they're they're going to publicize your your little story and somehow it's going to get you out. It doesn't. But that's where a lot of these myths come from. Okay. That's interesting. That's good to know. That's something that, that that's something you, you learn. We learn something every day on this is Nashville. Now, now, Jane, your novels are based on, around LGBTQ characters, and correct the themes have they have a lot of high stakes with action and intrigue. Angel mm-hmm. the Assassin and Red's Revenge have characters. They really handle business in these stories. Yeah. You know, where did the inspiration for those stories and characters come from? Well, it started with the first one. I'm not even sure where it came from, but the first one was. Actually, it was Red's Revenge. And um, when I started writing it, I didn't, I had, I write on a yellow tablet. And I wrote like three yellow tablets worth of chapters. And then I went back and tore them up and started again. At this time, <laughs> moving back to, um, moving back to, uh, start. that was started in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And so she was a martial arts expert. Uh, in Atlanta, and um, so when uh, her mother's killed, she goes after him. She goes after the killers of her mother. Yeah, and they were cartel. Okay. So the cartel's involved in all the novels so far. So she goes after the cartel with her samurai swords. (laughs) Then then following up with um, Angel the Assassin, she is a sniper taught by her father. She lives in California. And a sniper, and she goes, she goes after uh, somebody who killed her um, her father. 
And so she's going after the cartels. So, so it's a lot of revenge themes. Yeah, they're all revenge themes. Okay, that's awesome. That's awesome, and I'm sure it's an exciting read. Now, my next guest is a novelist and previous Killer Nashville attendee uh-huh. whose novel Hurt Mountain will be coming out next February. I'd like to welcome Angela Crook to This Is Nashville. Hello. Hi. So, hey, first off, congratulations on your new book coming out. How does it feel for you to be published on a mass level like this? It is amazing. (laughs) There's really no other word for it. It's it's a dream come true. I I really had no idea that I would actually make it here, and I did. And I do have to give a lot of credit to Killer Nashville and the people that I met there. They actually started my career, and I consider it my my writing home. Mm. Now, can you tell us a little bit about Hurt Mountain? Hurt Mountain is the story of um, a, a separated couple, and they find one uh, the, the male who's a deputy. Well, he's a security guard, really, and he finds a, a car on the side of the road that has a brutalized girl in it, a young girl in it. She's only able to say, she's not able to speak at first. And eventually the only thing that she can say is hurt. Mm. His wife, who's a doctor, they come together and they try and locate this, this girl's family and find out what happens to what happened to her. And it actually leads them back to a tragedy in their own life where their own daughter went missing. And it all takes place in Colorado, in the mountains and it's dark and it's scary, and it still has a lot of love and heart to it, I think. Mm-hmm. Now, now, talk to me about your journey as an author. Did you always want to be an author who specializes kind of in thriller and mystery? Actually, no. I was um, a bookworm, mostly. And I just started writing on the whim. As much as I love to read, and I will read just about anything, any genre. If it's a good story, I'm in. But I never really considered writing until in my 30s. And I was just going through a hard time. I sat down and I started writing what would be considered women's fiction with an edge. And I had a group of friends and family that read along as I wrote. They demanded pages like every day. And that's how I wrote my first book. So when you first attended Killer Nashville, what was that experience like for you? Oh, my goodness. Clay put it mildly when he said I was nervous. I was terrified (laughs) because before I went, I started doing research on the authors and things that were going. And I had only been to one one uh, writer's conference before, never had anything published. And I start reading some of the work of the other attendees. And I'm like, I'm completely out of my depth here. And I considered not even going. But the authors on the Killer National page started reaching out to me saying, you can do this. We'll be waiting for you. First people I met was Stacey Allen and Katrina McPherson. And these ladies just took me under their wing. And I, I, I would say that I probably would not have even made it there if not for these two ladies just reaching out to me. And there was another uh, writer, Air Price, and he I loved his book so much. And I couldn't believe that he took the time out of his life to say, come on, you got this. Mm. You're going to be good. And I was. Truly supportive <laughs> environment. Now, if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about how the Killer Nashville Conference can help authors and writers. Tweet us your comments at This Is Nashville. Now, I understand you all have a little section of your work yeah. that you'd like to share with us. Okay, Les, we'll start out with you. What, what are you going to share? Set up, set it up for us. Okay, this is a book I wrote 
several years ago called Just Like That. And Kathy Johns was the assistant warden at the farm, Angola, Louisiana, mm-hmm. very notorious prison. She wrote me a letter and said, this is the truest account of the criminal mind I've ever read because everybody has these these ideas about soci- sociology and all this stuff. You know, you grew up in this neighborhood, and way, which my mind is BS. And my whole thing is it's always about control. Okay. At some point in your life, the, the person lost control, and that's a way of gaining it back. It's not rape. Usually it's about control. They were probably raped or something or abused, and they lost control, and it's a way to get control back. And that's all it is. And, and most of the psychiatrists, psychologists, paid lip service to it, but they don't really believe it, I don't think. All right, let, let's hear your okay. passage. Um, it's like a stick-up. Most outlaws I talked to got busted because they planned too much. Figure out what to do if this happens, that happens. The best way is not even is not even know you're going to do it until it happens. Like you're in a supermarket buying some gum, whatever, and on the way out you see all the checkout girls heading with their money trays to the office on account of the next shift is there. Before you walked in, robbing somebody maybe was the last thing in your mind. You see that, all them trays stacked up on the desk in the office, the safe open, and the smartest thing you can do is walk over, pull out your piece, and tell the guy in a bow tie to bag it up, hand it over. Zip, boom, bang, you're out of the place and cruising down the road before you even know what you did, just like that. Wow, nice, into the mind mm-hmm. of a criminal. All right, now, now Jane, you've got something you want to share. Yeah, it's... Um my latest novel just came out at the beginning of the year, ended last year. Cynthia the Enforcer. Cynthia the Enforcer. Enforcer. All right. She works for the cartel okay. in Chicago. And her job, primarily where she ends up with a job there, is uh, protecting the members of the cartel and keeping them honest. Okay. Not the public. Okay. <laughs> members of the cartel. Because the cartel doesn't want anybody stealing from them. So. Gotcha. <laughs> so that's how that one came about. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Are you going to read a little piece sure. for us? Yep. Okay. It is um, chapter one, plan B. Her 12-year-old feet dangled 10 feet above the alley. Sitting on the windowsill, she looked down at her worn thrift shop tennis shoes, then her faded mini jean skirt and the dirty old T-shirt. That totaled one-third of her wardrobe. One o'clock in the morning was Cynthia's favorite time. Devlin, her older brother, had passed out. Only a tiny sliver of moonlight cast a faint light in the alley and the street beyond, yet it spoke to her. She looked up every so often at the old beat-up Cadillac across the street. It had been sitting there for, sitting out for front of the playtime bar for about four hours. A heavyset man staggered out of, out of the bar, heading for his car. Here's my chance to put my plan together. She turned and lowered herself to the dumpster, then jumped down into the alley, running over to the Cadillac. The man dropped the keys for a second time. Hey, mister, let me help you. Ooh, I wonder what Cynthia does next. Does she, quote-unquote, enforce him? That'll be interesting. Yeah. Okay, now, well, she, a- Angela, Angela, you, we only have a little bit of time left. Angela, can you read a little excerpt of your work, please? Sure. This is from um, my upcoming book, Hurt Mountain, and I'm just going to read you a little section on when Brandon first um, finds the car. The car appeared to be an older model Honda Accord, but he couldn't be certain since the decal was missing. The right side of the vehicle was hanging off the side of the road. The right rear tire was almost completely flat, 
and the left was bald. The license plates were missing and it had rust. It had more rust than its original red paint. Long scratch marks led away from a large dent in the truck, making it appear that the car had barely escaped the talons of some great hungry beast. As he approached the vehicle, he could hear loud rock music coming from inside. His hand found his gun on his hip and he thought about Lisa and the tears in her eyes as she stood in the doorway that morning, convinced that the rare thunderstorm was a bad omen. He prayed she wouldn't be right. Wow. I really, I really dig this. this all these sound really mm-hmm. interesting and cool. You know, one final, one final question we have just about a minute left. You know, Jan, you're the keynote speaker. Yes. At this year's event. Yeah, isn't that exciting? Yeah. I'm, I'm so excited. You're about excited it. about yeah. it. Okay. Right. Well, well, you know, what are you planning to share? Um, I'm planning to share a little bit about going through and writing books and what the what the Killer Nashville has taught me and the changes. And the upgrades that I learned from Killer Nashville, as well as the stuff I've learned writing books. So it's like moving up the moving up the stairs. Showing the progression that yeah. you've made in your career. Right. Wow. Right. Wow. So, well, real quick, does anyone have a little piece of advice for new attendees? Les? Oh man, I'm the wrong. Well, you're you're I'm brand a new, new attendee too. But, but but conventions are conventions. This is just the best of them. Uh, just pay attention. Go to go to workshops that are going to teach you something about writing, or marketing, whatever. Awesome. Well, I really want to thank all of you for coming onto the show mm-hmm. and sharing pieces of your work. I'm sure you're very excited, and you all should be very, very proud. My guests are authors Les Edgerton, Jane B. Lee, and Angela Crook. Again, thank you all so much for being with us today. It's the Killer Nashville Conference going on today through Sunday in Franklin. You can go online to find out more. And we want to thank everybody for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Char Dastin. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Michaela Elias is our technical director. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, the conversation doesn't end here. You can tweet us at This Is Nashville and find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other. <laughs>